0: following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you don't know, I'm Vince. I'm one of the pastors here at Love City Church, and uh, I do a, a fair bit of the Bible teaching, and that's what I've stepped up to do now. So if you would uh, please turn to Proverbs chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today. We're continuing. Uh, we've picked back up a series in Proverbs that we started a couple years ago. And uh, similar to the way we're working through the Psalms, we'll come back and, and revisit this wisdom literature from time to time and uh, work our way through it. I think the chances of me getting through all the Proverbs is in my lifetime is better than the Psalms. I think when I did the math on the Psalms, I need like 60 more years of preaching uh, to make it at our current clip. So we may have to speed that up a bit, but, um, in any case, maybe we'll do some side Bible study so I can get through it. Uh, for those of you that know that me and a troop of uh, folks from the church family just got back from Montana and were praying for us. Thank you. If you didn't know that I just got back from Montana. And, uh, so I'm feeling pretty good. I had kind of a bushy beard this morning or as much of one as I can grow. Thought about leaving it just for that effect so you could guys kind of feel the mountains emanating from me, but uh, it was itchy and uh, it annoyed me, so off it went. But uh, just seriously want to thank uh, all of you that covered things uh, while we were gone and or prayed for us. We had really blessed travel, nothing wild happened, and uh, we had a really good time in, in God's creation. So thank you to all that prayed for us. Uh, As I said, we're going to go to Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 11, so hope you found that. If you're still learning to navigate your Bible, look for the book of Psalms. It's the real big one in the middle, and then go forward a bit, you'll find Proverbs. If you don't have a Bible to follow along, uh, we will have the verses on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, please give us the chance to give you one. Uh, We really like giving away Bibles. Amen. Okay, as I said, Proverbs 6, verses 1 through 11, says, My son you've become surety for your neighbor, have given a pledge for a stranger, if you've been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and importune your neighbor. Give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Praise God for his word. Today should be fun. You guys ready? All right. Well, first of all, we have this introduction. It starts with my son. And a lot of the proverbs start that way. A lot of this is from the perspective of a parent sharing wisdom with their child, and I just think right off the bat we should stop and think about the particular subject matter of this first part of Proverbs 6 and And let that kind of judge us. Uh, And let me say this. We sang a song this morning that talks about being saved by, by grace, through faith, in Christ, alone. And so a lot of today is about work and works. And I just want to make sure you remember, as we move through this text today, we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. That's a place to say amen. Now, We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And what that does is it changes the way that we approach God. Because probably the most common lie that keeps people from a true and vibrant connection to the God that made them and the relationship he desires to have with them is the great lie that it's works that's going to get us into favor with God or keep us in favor with God. We are saved. We are justified. We are made sons and daughters by grace through faith in Christ alone. However, once that happens, we then have a heart motivation change that begins to to bend our desires and and move them in different directions than they used to be. Where we used to be very into serving ourselves, we actually start to feel this this discernible change that I I I want to serve God. I want to obey him. I, I, I realize, because I've been saved by grace through faith, how much he has loved me and it makes me want to serve him. And so the hope today is that we get some more practical wisdom about what it looks like. The desire is one thing, but then having some actual runway of knowing what it looks like to practically obey God in certain areas of life is a lot of what the Proverbs helps us with, practical wisdom. Now, my son, right? And I just want those who are parents, those who are actively involved in uh, discipling kids, those whether you're an aunt, an uncle, whether you just are relationally connected to people that have kids and you get the opportunity to speak into their lives. I just want to right now uh, address the fact that here and throughout the Proverbs, we see this dad speaking to his son about financial issues, right? Work and money and loans, right? And I just, wh- you know, what does that say to us? It says, well, the kind of weird taboo ideas we have around money sometimes maybe shouldn't be there. I'm going to go out and say they really definitely shouldn't be there. Jesus actually talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. You find that interesting? I find it very interesting. What does that mean? Does it mean Jesus was actually just all about money? No, but he's actually really wise and understands what it takes to live in this world that he's built for us. And that there's great blessing potentially through handling finances correctly and with a correct perspective. There's also great potential destruction when we do that wrong, right? And he loves us. So he gives us instruction. And so really what I'm kind of pressing for here is for parents, those that have the opportunity to speak into the life of kids, talk to them about work and finances and loans and credit. There's a bunch of kids that they get out of high school, and they get out on their own, and nobody's ever talked to them about the basics of finance, and it really can be disorienting. Does anybody in here can give me a witness that I'm not making stuff up? Does anybody in here feel like maybe they were slightly, potentially underprepared for the world financially when they got set off on their own? Yeah. Okay. So I'm, there's truth to what I'm saying then, right? I'm not making stuff up. Some of you maybe had parents that were financial advisors, and so, you know, you had extra homework at home about stocks bonds and interest rates and okay praise god for that i'm glad but a lot of times people don't even think about this when it comes to the things that we should be instructing our children in the practical wisdom we should be handing down and and, and it's not just proverbs 6 throughout the proverbs this seems to make the top of the list of things this dad thought he should share with his son okay all right now what does let's get into the things that he talks about this First thing, if you've become surety for your neighbor, you've given a pledge for a stranger, been snared with the words of your mouth. It's it's not super clear. Probably the closest modern equivalent we have to what's being discussed here is co-signing for a loan, okay? Now, it may not even have been exactly like that, but we don't don't have a ton of record on the, the rules that would have surrounded this exact thing that we see Solomon talking about here. But principally, we can, we can talk about this with a fair bit of confidence. The idea he's talking about is that you're putting your name on the line for someone else's debt. There's a little debate on whether this is talking about uh, you know, past debt, something that somebody's already owes, or if it's something in, in the future. One commentator I read said that particularly he thinks it has to do with almost just signing off for an open line of credit for someone else, right? And one thing that we need to think about is, <clears throat> and I, I would lump in with this idea of co-signing for a loan. Also, let me say this about the Proverbs. The Proverbs are oftentimes, and we're going to see this today, they're oftentimes one-sided in their view of wisdom. Now, if you go through the entirety of the Proverbs, you'll oftentimes see something that looks at the other side of the issue. But individual Proverbs... Right For those who are prone to go to the Bible looking to affirm what they already like, they may like the Proverbs. Because you can find one that's like, oh yeah, I agree with that. But then if you run a few chapters later and take a look, you'd find one that says the exact opposite. And I'm gonna show you how we deal with that. But we, we gotta remember that as well, okay, as we're working through this book. Now, when it comes to co-signing a loan, I would even put, I would lump into this the idea of loaning out money to people. <clears throat> there's, I think there's, high degree of wisdom in this principle. This is not a hard and fast rule. This is not something that uh, I I would say is some kind of uh, ironclad hard line in the sand that you need to follow. But I think there's a lot of wisdom in this idea. You should not co-sign for a loan for someone or loan someone money unless you've already prepared in your heart that you're willing to pay for that loan and or not get that money back. I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Many relationships have been destroyed, families broken apart, many issues created by, and that's very complicated, isn't it, right? Because oftentimes the person that may be coming to ask for you to co-sign a loan or ask to borrow money, they may not be a shyster or a charlatan or trying to intentionally pull anything off. They, they may and probably do, if they're dealing with all you find quality people, They probably have the best intentions. I'm I'm going, I'm actually, absolutely going to pay this loan. I just need you to co-sign or I'm absolutely going to pay this money back. Uh, I just need this amount of time. And, but their intentions and and what happens then in life can maybe not line up. You guys ever had something, anything in life unexpected happen? I have a few things, lots of things all the time, right? And so part of what we're, we're seeing here is, is A, in general, it may not be a great idea to co-sign loans. In particularly though, I think there are some circumstances where maybe that's warranted. Um, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in the idea of if, if you sign for somebody else's loan, just be ready, all have it decided. If they falter on this thing and I have to pay it, I'm okay with that. And I would just humbly submit to you that if you're not there, then, then that's another reason maybe to go on the con side of the list when it comes to deciding if you're going to do that. Okay, is that all right? <clears throat> and, and let's also think about this. It's not just potentially bad for the one who's on the hook for co-signing or loaning out money to someone if the, either the person defaults on the loan or the money is not paid back. Uh, co-signing for someone, loaning people money, it can set a snare for for that person as well, and so sometimes what what's happening is when when someone comes needing to borrow or needing to have a line or a loan cosigned for. It's not always the case, but sometimes it's the case that either poor choices up until then have led to the need for a cosigner or a loan, or maybe it's inexperience, an and so that may be an opportunity for somebody that maybe is farther along and understands these things better or has a perspective that will allow them to see, hey, why are you in this situation? The most loving thing to do there may be to sit down with them and ask some good questions and have a conversation. And, of course, that is all predicated on humility of the person that came to ask and being willing to listen. But, um, honestly, co-signing for somebody or loaning someone money... Isn't it hard sometimes to balance what generosity and loving people looks like with not <clears throat> getting in the way of God, maybe teaching them something through difficulty? That's a, is that a hard line for anyone else to walk? It is for me sometimes, because my heart goes out to people. You know, what, and even if, I don't care if they made bad choices. I still want to help them, right? I don't, I don't want people that I love and care about to, to suffer. And I know there's been times in my life where I've jumped the gun and, and I had the ability to alleviate pressure off of somebody, uh, and, and this is in various different ways, and maybe what I should have done was pray for them and walk with them through it, but not pick the thing up and carry it for them. You understand what I'm saying? And how, Well, how do I know the difference, man? You're making things complicated now. I, I know, and the Bible does that a lot, and, and part of what it's doing is pushing us right back to the feet of Jesus and us singing that refrain we started the service with. I depend on you. It's not always going to be super clear. You are going to need the help of the Holy Spirit to discern your way through many of these situations. Uh, and I'm really thankful that his promises, if we'll ask for wisdom, he'll give it. Right. Amen. Whoa, you put me on the spot. That's all right. I know, that's really scary. It's fun for me, though. Your face is, you know, it's kind of like a deer in headlights, so... <clears throat> it keeps things spicy for me. Okay. Now then. I think that's about it on that. So then there's this there's this pivot. Um of course, I guess the second half of that is is fairly self-explanatory. I don't know how much commentary it needs, but basically if you if you've gotten yourself into a position with someone and you realize now that that's a mistake, the Bible's encouraging us here to humbly then go and and make your case with that person to to get out of that snare you maybe created for yourself or or they helped you create. So uh <clears throat> just some real, just straight up practical wisdom there for us to consider. And uh I'm thankful for it because these things come up. And so we hit to uh verse six here, and there's there's a, f- a fairly distinct pivot. I would say we're still in the same pocket of subject matter, but uh it, it comes down less to the practicalities around loaning things and what to do, and, and more about just the, the ethics of, the biblical ethics of laziness and work and things of that nature. And so, um, trigger warning, as we work through this, there, there's going to probably be an opportunity, whichever way you lean in ter- terms of a sinful tendency around work, and there's, there's opposite ways to do that, uh, there's, everyone's probably going to get offended today at some point, just so, just so you know, okay? And that's kind of the goal. That's kind of the goal, just so you know where I'm coming from, okay? I'm trying to poke you, (laughs) all right? Uh, Amen. So, we start out with, go to the ant, O sluggard. This is not gentle, is it? Well, I mean, it's true, and sometimes, I guess, gentleness has wider uh, guardrails than we think, but go to the ant, O sluggard. And so, what we're dealing with here is a tendency towards laziness, slothfulness, Pick your synonym. And uh, the proverb writer suggests that we look to the ant because the ant uh, is wise. And how is it wise? Because it prepares food in the summer, gathers provision in the harvest. It, It works when it's time to work and it rests when it's time to rest. Instead of avoiding work whenever possible and resting as much as possible, which is the tendency of the sluggard, okay? Now, uh, this is not all that the Proverbs have to say in addressing somebody that has a tendency towards laziness or being a sluggard. Um, of course, we have the, the warning at the end here, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, your need like an armed man. If you are perpetually, continually have a tendency towards laziness, procrastination, and things of this nature, uh, there will be consequences. It's a pretty basic way to say what's being said here. Uh, there's, there's much more in the Proverbs about this, though. It's, it's, I would say, the most prolific part of the Scripture that deals with this idea of laziness, this tendency that sometimes can get on us. Let me give you another example. Proverbs 26, verse 14. As This is funny. As the door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy one on his bed. The door... <laughs> It's moving a little bit, but boy, it's hooked to them hinges. It ain't getting off of there, right? As a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy one on his bed. This is Proverbs 26. 15, it gets even, I think, better. Verse 15: A lazy one buries his hand in the dish, but is weary of bringing it to his mouth again. You know, I can't help but think of Job of the Hut. That's like, you know, like, fall asleep mid-grab mid, mid grab of the dish, right? Just so lazy. Uh, that's verse 15. Verse 16, a lazy one, This hear this. So what does it say? A lazy man's like a door that turns on its hinges, uh, like somebody that will bury their hand in the dish, but can't, can't even bring up the umption to bring that thing back to their mouth. And then this, a lazy one is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who can give a discreet answer. Huh. And I'll tell you, I have run into this. What is that talking about? Oftentimes, people that have this tendency towards laziness, a disposition, a sinful disposition towards laziness, they will often think that they're smarter than everybody else because they've figured out how to be lazy and survive. Anybody else ever met someone like that? Don't say their name. But... Also, I mean, I know I said anybody know anybody, but man, has this tendency ever crept in on you? There are people that they relish the fact that they've figured out how to exist in life with minimal effort, how to kind of glide, if you will. And scripture puts absolutely uh, no value in that approach. That's not something to be commended. Oh, wow, You've, you've figured out how to be a sluggard and not die, great job. It's, it's not honorable. It's sinful. It doesn't represent the character of God that is supposed to be represented in us who bear his image. Because God is a worker. God, and that, what do you mean? Well, I think that's most clearly represented, right? Pop quiz, your favorite. Ready? If we want to understand the character and nature of God, where's the number one place that we look? Go ahead, Love City. We look to Jesus. We look to what we see in his word about Jesus. So if we want to understand the character and nature of God, what he's about, what, what he's like, so we look to Jesus, what do you find out about whether God is lazy or not? Jesus picked up a trade starting off, learned from his father Joseph, and then the brother was all around the Middle East countryside, walking, preaching, serving Working hard all the time. Jesus worked hard. And we see that that's part of the character and nature of God. It's, it's reflected in us. Now, so we have these warnings, right, against laziness. We have these warnings against slothfulness, about thinking that you're slick because you've figured out how to be lazy and, and not die of starvation. And you, you maybe think you're smarter than the rest of us dopey people working hard. You fools, look at you having to work, I've learned how to game the system. Well, maybe, or what you might be riding on is the mercy of God <laughs> alone, and maybe you should reconsider that. Uh, maybe he's waiting patiently for you to understand that what you think is best for you is not best for you. That he created within us, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but part and parcel of who we are as image bearers of God. We have a need for for purpose. And work is part of that. It always has been from the beginning. But let me, let me flip the coin because we have to do that. Remember how I told you in the, in the beginning of this, the Proverbs are oftentimes one-sided. Every proverb isn't going to take, always take the coin and, and flip it over for you. But we could look to, we, there's other Proverbs we could look to, but also let, let's just look at something else Solomon wrote, okay? To, to understand what maybe the other side of this coin is. Because Solomon did not just assemble and write many of the Proverbs, Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, some of you that were quite offended thus far that I came after your maybe laziness and tendency towards slothfulness, you will now have an opportunity to cheer. You maybe have even used some of these verses to justify your laziness. Okay? Don't do that, that's not the right approach. Uh, But many of you who thus far, every time I was calling out the lazy people, you were like, yes, lazy people. Let's just kick them. I don't like lazy people. You're now going to get a chance uh, to get sat back on your haunches and humbled a little bit, okay? So here we go. Solomon also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So let me read you this. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, right out of the gate. right? doesn't even take long. Futility of futilities, says the preacher, Futility of futilities, all is futility. What advantage does a person have in all his work which he does under the sun? Lazy people unite, right? See, it's futile. Ecclesiastes 2, also, we're not getting too deep. Right away, verse 11. So I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted and behold, all was futility and striving after wind and there was no benefit under the sun. I I tell you, for me, in my life, one of the most corrective analogies in the scriptures has been Solomon's characterization of chasing futile things and it being like wind in the hands. To think about how Absolutely frequent it is that people will set some goal or have some idea if I can just reach that. And it can be all different areas of life. It could be uh, you know right along with what we're talking about some kind of income level some fitness level some family size level uh, relational level whatever, whatever it is people set in their mind is the thing the thing that if, if I just run hard if I chase it hard enough and I catch that then I will be Fulfilled, whole, whatever the adjective is, right? And to think that if what we're grasping after is anything other than God himself, how devastating it is for people when they run hard and then they catch it and then they open their hands and find out what they caught was wind. Man, and you wonder why so many people end up devastated and hopeless. There's so many potential ways that we could be tricked like that. So I'm thankful for this uh, different wisdom we see from Solomon. But how do, we, how do we square this is the question. Because we have it's not like we have two different men of God here writing. And it's like, well, we'll just chalk that up to maybe perspective difference. No, we have Solomon in Proverbs saying, Sluggard, go to the ant and learn how to work. Don't be like a door on its hinges rolling around on your bed sluggard, right? He's not even holding back. And then we run over here to Ecclesiastes and who do we have? We got Solomon again saying, futility of all futilities. What advantage does a person have in all the work which he's done under the sun? Well, here's how do we square that? Can we square that? I'm proposing yes, but here's how people often deal with it. And this is unhelpful. What people oftentimes do is just lean heavy into the perspective or tendency they already have and just really like the verses that affirm that and kind of ignore the ones that don't. That's a terrible approach. We believe the whole counsel of God's word is profitable for us, for teaching and rebuke, correction, encouragement, right? And so we, we need to see that the Bible oftentimes puts us in these positions where. It's going to take some work, some thinking, some help from the Holy Spirit to understand, okay, that and that seem opposite. What? Well, that's good. Once you find those, you realize you're actually paying attention. That's a good thing. Some people could also say, "Oh, oh, well, that's a contradiction. There's another one of those Bible contradictions. and Look, stupid Bible. Well, that's also not the right answer. Okay? How do we square this? Well, the most important thing what this does is it forces us to realize that it's, it's not the particulars of what we do in terms of work that, that drives whether we end up in a sinful tendency one way or the other. It has everything to do with why we work. It, we have to always come back to purpose. And is, isn't that affirmed throughout the scriptures? Didn't Jesus make that even more crystal clear when he popped up? Did things like preach the sermon on the mount, right? You've heard it said this, but here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up the ante and let you know, God's not just worried about your outward behavior, but he cares very much about what's going on in your heart on the thing. Right? Because somebody somebody could think, oh man, well, okay, then if I see somebody that works really hard all the time, they're a hard worker, yep, they're biblical. Or, or I, I could see somebody that really is just kind of disconnected from, from all of that and, and doesn't really care about finances or anything, and they're just kind of, you know, just kind of, floating through and, and all, you know, they sing a lot of worship songs, but I don't ever see them working. But man, they obviously got it. They figured it out. They're, they're, that's a biblical approach, right? Couldn't each of those person people run to their own preferred piece of wisdom literature, Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, find a verse, stick it on the fridge, and strike a pose, right? You could do that. Not helpful though. It's, it's, it's a non-circumspect way to see the issue. the issue is not just what we do, but why we do it, the purpose of work. And I think ultimately understanding how to approach work in a truly biblical and circumspect way, the first place we have to start is going all the way back to the beginning so we have some kind of a proper understanding of, of who we are and how we are meant to relate to work because, and this is not true in every culture at all times, but I think it's fairly Consistently true here in the West in this time frame. We have a little bit of an ethic of um, maybe I'll, I might work and I'm, I might even work really hard, but I'm working hard to get to the point where I don't have to work anymore. You guys understand what I'm talking about? Everyone calm down, especially those of you that are over 40. I'm not coming after the idea of retirement altogether. It's okay, all right? So just take a breath. But what I do want us to think about is what is the ultimate purpose for us as humans being image bearers of God placed on this earth as his representatives? Because oftentimes people think of work, they think of Genesis 3, right? When when Adam and Eve, they they believe the lie of the devil that God's holding some good thing back from them in that forbidden fruit, and so they choose to disobey God. And as consequences are being laid out, one of the things that's said to Adam is, now you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Now, what used to just grow and you'd be able to walk through the garden and just pick it, you didn't have to do a whole lot with it, now it's going to be toil for you. I think some people draw from that maybe a, a, a partial conclusion that leads to an overall uh, problematic view of work in humans. They think, oh, well, see, work is a part of the, the fall, the curse, well, if we just back up a couple chapters, you'll see that when God first made Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, that off the rip, from the beginning, they had a job to do. There was attending to the garden. Now, there, we didn't get a detailed list of what that meant, but Adam and Eve did have a purpose, a job, a stewardship position representing God in the place where he put them. And this was before the curse. Okay. So that was a long way for me to say this. Let me summarize it bottom line for you. Work is not a result of the curse. Work is a part of our very nature as image bearers of God. Adam and Eve had a purpose and a job to do on God's behalf in the earth before sin ever entered the picture. Now, would the work of the garden have been a lot more fun than the work after and a lot of the work we're doing today? I'm going to go with yes. You know what I mean? Sure, probably. Probably. You know, naked fruit picking, maybe do a little trimming here and there on the trees uh, and, and whatever else. You know, yeah, sure, yes. And, you know, like descriptions of the cool of the day and all of that. Probably wasn't 97 and 100% humidity like we have coming up in the Ohio Valley next week. Praise the Lord. Just got back from Montana. <clears throat> Anybody's ever thought about planting a church in Montana? Just see me after the service. Might do might do a seasonal thing. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just joking for now. Uh, okay. So in order to not get this thing wrong, okay, in terms of our approach to work, laziness versus being uh, working, because what, what's the potential problem? I mean, I think this text does a pretty good job letting us know what the potential problems are with laziness. But the potential problems on the flip side of the coin with overworking and not understanding uh, what Solomon was saying about the ultimate futility of work if it has the wrong purpose, it's very easy to, for, for work to become an idol and an ultimate purpose in itself or a means by which we try to get something that, that really we should be looking to get from God, right? Joy, contentment, identity. Anybody ever struggled with your identity being too heavily tied to your occupation or you can at least understand how that could be a danger. I know, I know that can be a struggle for me because just think about how we talk to each other. When you meet someone, Hey, what's your name? Oh, hi. Yeah. I'm such and such. What's your name? Such, and such. What's the next question people typically ask trying to get to know somebody? What do you do? And what do we mean by that? Do we mean like, do you eat ravioli on Tuesdays? Like what, what do we mean by what do you do? What do you do for work? So we somehow got wired to, we're gonna learn who someone is. We're gonna get their name, and then typically we wanna know, what do you do for work? Now, is there anything wrong with talking about your occupation? Absolutely not. Is there anything wrong with that being a part of who you are and how you function in a society? Not at all. But if it gets anywhere near core identity, where being a son or a daughter of God is supposed to reside it absolutely can become a problem. Well, why is that? Again, friends, because God loves you and God wants you to have an identity that cannot be shaken, rocked, or taken from you under any circumstance. Because when a human has their core identity taken from them, it shatters them all the way down to the gushy parts in the middle. You understand what I'm talking about? And here's the thing. The only identity marker you can have at the core that can never be taken from you is that you're a son or a daughter of God. Anything else in your life can be taken. Well, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty good at my occupation. I don't see how, look, man, accidents happen all the time. There's all kinds of ways where if, if what you are primarily is a tradesperson or a teacher or an office manager or pick your profession, if that's who, and in, in how, how do we know? Friends, you're going to have to be honest with yourselves about it. No, I can't figure it out for you. But when you think about who you are, what comes to your mind first? What comes to your heart first? And it may not be, even be an occupation in the marketplace. It might be an occupation in the home. Mamas. Hold on, you're starting to fight with the moms this morning? I mean, I will. What's up, you know? I mean, obviously, you know, our, our identity markers as parents broadly. Okay? Mom, moms or dads in the home. That could be, because look, something can happen to your kids. And if that's who you are at the core, the most important thing about who I am, what I see myself as is a parent, first and foremost, that, first of all, you probably ruin your kids, if that's true, because if you treat your kids like God, you're surely not going to be able to teach them how to worship God properly. Whoa, man, I thought we were talking about sluggards and stuff. Hold on. How do we get on that? Because in order to talk about sluggards, in order to talk about work, in order to talk about a proper theology of work, in order to talk about grand purpose of human existence, we're going to have to get to identity. It's always going to come back to that. We've got to think about that through a gospel lens and be wise. Amen. So all of that considered, let's. So the big premise here is, how do I square Solomon and Proverbs and Solomon and Ecclesiastes? It comes down to purpose for work. If if my purpose for work is correct, I can stay out of those dual ditches of either being a sluggard and maybe even thinking I'm slick for it, or being somebody that works too much and puts too much of their ultimate purpose into either their identity through their occupation and or what they think they can get through working hard. Some type of maybe uh, inordinate seeking of riches, whatever that means to you, right? Uh, different people would have different standards of what that is, but it doesn't matter. We're talking about heart stuff here. I'm talking about the stuff the Lord seems to care about most. So if, if what we need then is a good theology of work, a good purpose for work, then the next question that I'm sure all of you are asking, because you are very wise, is, okay, great. I can see that. So why should we work? Great question. Let's talk about that. I'm going to give you a few things. The first one may not seem real spiritual, but it is. Why should we work to provide for our needs? What? I, thought, I thought you were, were going to say something mind-blowing and, and very spiritually tantalizing. No, we work to provide for our needs. And here's one, one way we really can navigate this whole kind of discussion around sluggishness and Laziness versus work and potentially an idolatry and, and occupation and all of that. I tell you, understanding uh, that, we have, that we have needs, God knows that, and it's, it's not uh, an unspiritual thing to acknowledge is really helpful. Uh, the Bible actually says it very plainly in 1 Timothy 5.8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. If you haven't heard that one before, that's pretty good, isn't it? That's exciting. Some of you have heard it. Uh, but that's, that's a verse that, you know, I don't see it on too many bumper stickers, to be quite honest. I haven't seen very many 1 Timothy 5.8 bumper stickers. And uh, it's because it's, it's a pretty serious truth to work through. Uh, and but it's helpful for us in having this discussion. God knows that we have needs. And actually, <clears throat> one, of, one of the great helps that's going to help us navigate through this whole discussion, this is, a, this is one of those areas where this, the sacred and secular divide that we imagine in our minds becomes very prominent. It, it ex, we can expose it in talking about these things. Because many of us think of our life in compartmentalized sections. We have family life, and we have work life, and then for some of you, you'd have church life, and then you've got whatever other things that you're a part of that would make that list. And I'm not saying having some mental division between certain parts of your life is a problem, but when, when those divisions are very sturdy, particularly when it comes to the idea that like, well, my my work life and my family life is different than my spiritual life, and that's that's I don't know where that idea came from, but all of life is spiritual. And all of life, according to God and his word, is meant to be worship. And so thinking about my work as worship definitely changes some things in the way I navigate it. And thinking of my life not in these little bifurcated sections, but thinking that, you know, yes, there is a difference between family, home, and work, and there's some practical differences there, but in terms of what, what is the overarching and governing all of that? Where, where, where are the doors between those things? The fact that all of me belongs to God, the breath in my lungs belongs to God, the fact that all of my existence is meant to be stewardship on behalf of God means that all those things, all those sections belong to him and all of life is meant to be spiritual. And so that's really helpful if we can start to apply that to the way we think about work and the way we think about navigating the subjects that Proverbs 6 thrust us into today. So, first of all, to provide for our needs. And why did I just go on that kind of what may have seemed like a rabbit trail? Because some of you might be thinking, oh, okay, well, that's a a practical reason we should work. Now he's going to get to the spiritual ones. No! Providing for the needs of your family and for yourself is a spiritual practice, if thought about correctly. Amen. What did he say? If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Does it sound like in the mind of Paul, this is, we got secular and sacred, we've got spiritual and unspiritual? No, man, it's all blended together. When I did that, do you think I was going to do a magic trick? Like I'd have a coin or something? I can't do any magic, so don't get your hopes up. That won't be happening. All right. Why should we work? To provide for our needs. Second thing I'm going to give you to be generous. Let me read you this. I don't have a ton to say about this. I just just let the, the scriptures do it, okay? 2 Corinthians 9, I'm starting in verse 6. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace overflow to you so that, always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. That verse 11 in some of your translations, I want to say it's the NIV. It says, you've been made rich so that you can be generous on every occasion. That verse was one of the first verses that Natalie and I grabbed a hold of when we got married. We were 18. I was making 10 bucks an hour working uh, rehab in houses. And uh, there it didn't feel like we had been made rich so that we could be generous on every occasion. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, but I had to... I had to have my my perspective realigned and understand that God, of course, if you just go to comparison other places today, but then throughout time, um, I actually had been made rich by many people's standards. But secondly, and more importantly, um, what God had entrusted me with, he expected me to be generous with right now. Not wait till I get to where I think, oh, now I have enough to be generous, but to be generous now. To be generous on every occasion even. And so we, we've done our best to walk in that and obey that through our life and marriage and with what God has entrusted our family to steward. And I'll tell you, uh, God does give seed to sowers. He absolutely does. And for some of you, what, what may be blocking um, the, <clears throat> the potential doors of increase financially in your life might be that God knows you're not to the point yet where you're going to do the right thing with the money. And so he's not going to harm you by putting more into your hands. Because if, here's the thing, people think, well, I've only got a little, so I'm going to be stingy now, but later if I have more, I won't be stingy. That's not how it works, man. If you're stingy with a little, you'll be stingy with a lot. And you know, I don't know how many of you know wealthy people. I, I, I know by name some of the poorest people in Cincinnati, and I know by name some of the wealthiest people in Cincinnati. And when I talk to the people that are wealthy, they've told me, those that are spiritual and care about giving and being generous, they've told me, man, it does not, every zero you got to add to a check when it comes to giving and being generous, it does not get easier. Even though I've got more zeros, the reason the zeros on this check are getting bigger is because I've got more zeros behind it, doesn't make that any easier. You understand what I'm saying? So don't, just don't, don't fool yourself. Into thinking that, oh, I'll be generous when I have more. That's really not how it works. But part of the reasons we should work is so that we can be generous. There's a brother that's a part of this church family. And I called him one day. He was headed to work. And uh, he said, uh, I said, what are you doing, man? Heading to work. I was like, all right. Praise the Lord. He said, yeah, I'm going to get the Lord's money. I said, that's a good way to think about it right there, man. I'm going to share that with people. That's a good word. Man, on the, on the way to work, not, not later that week when he's sitting in the pews and he's supposed to be thinking about spiritual stuff. I'm talking about in traffic, on the way to work. I'm heading to get the Lord's money. That's the Lord's money. He's just trusted me to have this job to go get it. And then I'm going to ask him what he wants me to do with it. Is that helping you, man? That's the right way to think. It really is. I know for some of you it's foreign and it feels weird. You're like, ooh, what? Is this a cult? No, not really. Not at all. I know it might sound that way to you. But I'm just teaching you what the Bible teaches. And let me let me help you. Here's here's you could be worried it was a cult if it wasn't for this right here. Because all I'm doing is all I'm doing is reading the word to you and talking about it. So you'd have to decide all of Christianity is a cult, and maybe some of you do think that, but let me help you with something. Cults don't talk like this. Rewind, go to verse 7. Each one must do just as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Man, isn't that cool? Aren't you glad that's in the word? That helps me know I'm not a part of a cult. I've jumped into this thing following Jesus that I didn't didn't just pick the most eloquent cult leader throughout history in following Jesus. Because cult leaders don't talk like that. Everyone must do what they have determined in their own mind. And God loves a cheerful giver. That's, That's not the words of somebody that's trying to twist and coerce and manipulate and get people to do what they want them to do. Now, I know there's people that have taken other scriptures and used it to guilt people into giving and doing all kinds of stuff. And look, (laughs) if they don't get that right, they're going to answer to the Lord about it. They're going to answer to Revelation Jesus about it. You understand what I'm talking about? Fire in his eyes, Revelation Jesus is going to have a talk with them about manipulating his sheep, using his word to try to get them to give under compulsion. I mean, I might be around the corner peeking at that discussion, but I don't want to be in it for sure. I'm going to stay way away from that. I'm real thankful that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some of you, little rapscallions, you hear that and you're like, hold on, hold on, That's in. That's, what do you say that is? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Okay, I like that verse because here's the thing. I hate giving, so that means I don't have to do it. <laughs> well, I guess you could take that approach and we'll pray for you and I believe the Holy Spirit will help you eventually. But but let me just, I'll I'll give you a cheat code here on on getting out of that, because that's definitely not the right answer. A a better approach, I'm joking, but we should be honest about asking this question, am I a cheerful giver? And if the answer is no, then that's genuinely, man, something you should go talk to the Lord about. That's something to pray about. Lord, why don't I enjoy giving? And there could be all kinds of complex reasons why. Uh, but it's, it's something that should be worked through because God here's, but here's what I'm really thankful for. God's will for us is that giving and generosity would be a joy for us and not a burden. And he, and he, he pushes us towards that as opposed to just, just begrudging obedience. God is about our joy. Are you thankful about that? I'm thankful that God is about our joy, even in our obedience to him, even in our obedience to him and things that may seem hard on the surface. God wants it to be joyful for us. And he will help us to get there. Amen. I I would would also just encourage you that this idea of generosity, it's not relegated to the financial realm alone. I I would encourage you to think about that also in terms of service and and spending time uh, with people and for people and serving among the family of God. Um, One really good barometer, one really good indicator of where you're at in terms of growth and spiritual maturity and discipleship. If, if, the, if you're someone that thinks about such things and cares about, all right, Lord, like help me know where am I at in, in my journey? How, what, where am I at in, in that process you promised to be conforming me into your image? Am I growing? Am I moving more to being more like Jesus and less like uh, my rapscallion old man self, right? One really good indicator is, how much joy do I get? How much desire do I have for serving others? Because if, if we're being made in the mold of our master, who was the highest and went the lowest, who was the servant of all, who could... And that's the thing, when you think about Jesus' life, and, and even the idea of work, I'm, I'm looping back around to that. Like, man, if, if I was God with all God's power, would I have come and walked... Around? No, man, I would have floated everywhere. (laughs) Like, I mean, I, I traveled this week. I found myself wishing we had figured out teleportation by now. Like, what are we doing? Right? But Jesus came and walked in the dust and worked and sweat. Man, I'm so thankful. To do what? To serve us. When we talk about the sacrifice of Christ, we often think about the cross, and that's absolutely right. That is the pinnacle of Christ's sacrifice. But you understand, the sacrifice began the moment he emerged from Mary's womb and breathed air on this wretched dust ball of an earth. You know what I mean? It was sacrificed from the jump. His whole life was an incredible laying down of himself to serve us. Man, that's awesome. And I want to be more like that. I hope you do too. And I want to do it joyfully. I don't want to serve out of obligation. I want to actually have a smile on my face when I'm serving people because I'm actually enjoying it. Wait, you can do that? Yeah, I tell you. I've read about it. It can be done. I'm just kidding. I do enjoy serving people most of the time. So to provide for our needs, to be generous, what are we talking about? Why we should work. What purposes can we put behind work that will keep us out of trending into laziness and trying to avoid work or be ending up in in the ditch of idolatry and making work a, a god? Okay, how we do that? Our purposes for work have to be in line. To provide for our needs, to be generous. Thirdly, to glorify God. Let me read you this. Colossians 3, verse 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, And this would fix any misconception someone's had thus far in this sermon that I'm talking about work in in terms of only physical labor or something like that. There are all different ways that we work, in the home, out of the home. All different things constitute work, and and this gives you this all-encompassing phrase. Whatever you do, I'm in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If thus far you said, yeah, man, look, I get all this stuff about spirituality and work and all that, but, man, look, you do not know the people I work with. You don't know the people I work for. It's not, I can't do it. Well, I get it. There are difficult people. I've had difficult bosses. I understand. I've worked with people that, Man, you know, what's a pastoral way to say this? You want to smack them sometimes. Um, was that a pastoral way to say it? Probably, um, probably not good. I'll keep working on that. How do I say that better? Uh, but that's just being honest, isn't it? Um, there are people like that. But, this man, this verse will help you if you can get a hold of it. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Now, you can call me hyperspiritual. You can do whatever you want. But there's times, man, where I'm... I, I do trades work. And there's times it's hard. There's times when it's not, I am not having fun. And sometimes like, man, why am I doing this? And there are many times I will think about, or I'll, I'll just think, man, I just, if I could just slack off for a minute here. And then I think, Jesus is my boss. man. Ultimately, whoever that guy is, that, that, I mean, I'm going to give honor, respect, and deference where I should and, and all of that. But, Ultimately, that's that's not who I'm working for. I work for the King of Kings. And if if the King of Kings standing there watching me work, how would I work? And I try to do that all the time. Do I always hit that? No. But I'm telling I, I'm just telling you this has helped me in my life because there are sometimes I don't feel like working as hard as I can. There are sometimes I don't feel like having integrity when it comes to looking at what's going on on the time clock. Okay. And there's been lots of times throughout my life where I, I was the boss. And then, and then a lot of times when that happens, people end up in laziness. But I always have a boss. His name is Jesus. We work to glorify God. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. If you haven't thought much about how your work can bring glory to God, this is, this is the chance for you to be encouraged in that way. The last thing I'm going to give you is, these are reasons purposes for work, to follow the way of our good master. John 9, 4, this is around uh, where Jesus heals the man born blind. He says this, We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And again, part of my hope in this sermon is to tear down as many bricks in that line that divides between your spiritual life and the rest because that's not a real thing. All of life is spiritual. And so here we have Jesus talking about being the light of the world, doing the works of the Father while it is still daytime. And what I want you to see is, that that can, what did Colossians say? Whatever you do, Work is unto the Lord. And so whether that's us out evangelizing, whether it's us doing outreach, whether that's us doing work here in the house of the Lord, direct discipleship things, direct evangelism things, missions things that that is very easy for us to connect to the overall mission of God. Whether we're doing those things, yes, do those unto the Lord. That's a little easier to keep the connection. But also understand that part of how, because Jesus said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew 5.14, he says this, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. And so there's this sense in which Jesus came, was the light of the world, and then handed the torch to his church and said, all right, your turn. And what I want you to see is we're not just holding the torch when we're gathered here on Sundays. We're not just holding the torch when we go out and do whatever programs or whatever uh, organized events we have for outreach and evangelism and and sharing the gospel with people, you're holding the torch all the time. You're holding the torch at work when you don't feel like working. You're holding the torch at work when you have an opportunity to deal with a difficult person and you're going to go one way or the other. You have an opportunity to hold the torch, be the light of the world, push forward God's kingdom, God's gospel, show what the power of the love of Christ does in a person in all of those situations. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Amen. And that's what I want us to see today because if our purpose is ultimately and always tied to Christ and his glory, to his gospel going forward, if we understand how we work and even what seems like the most mundane thing, I don't care what you do for work. When mamas and daddies are changing diapers at home, that's work. When people are in their office cubicle, that's work. You dig a ditch, that's work. All of it it's, it's part of what it takes for society to function, for all of us to move forward as a human race, God has appointed that all of these things be done for his glory. And that for those of us who belong to him, to, us, to, to quit putting walls between different parts of our life and understand that everything we do, all that we do is meant to be done unto the Lord. Jesus is our boss. And, and he's a really good boss because he's a boss that as you're working, he's, he's, he's sitting there saying to you, how do we make this more joyful for you? I don't know that I've ever had a boss that asked me that. (laughs) Hey man, it doesn't look like you're having enough fun. How do we make this better for you, right? And always he's doing that, why? Because God is not some kind of tyrannical dictator as so many people unfortunately imagine him to be. He's a really good father that loves you and he wants every single part of your life to be joyously connected to him and his ultimate purposes. And friends, there's so much more that could be said about this. I'm hoping that this principle It sits upon you today, and by the power of the Spirit, as you walk out this week, you'll begin to see more places and connections of how you can actually walk this out practically. I pray the Holy Spirit helps you to do it. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much for uh, Proverbs 6. I thank you that your word is the deepest spiritual well that we're going to get a hold of, and yet can be so incredibly practical. Thank you that we see here wisdom about loans <laughs> um, and surety for a neighbor. And, and, and we see here practical instruction about work. And um, Lord, you, you're not so high and lofty. You, you are, but you'll, you'll simplify things for us. You'll give us object lessons. You'll tell us to go look at an ant and learn. And I'm just thankful. I'm thankful that you're, you're not the kind of teacher that just speaks above our heads and and relishes the fact that you're smarter than us, but I thank you that you get down right on our level and you make things simple enough to understand and that you empower us to obey the things you're giving us and that you don't just care that we obey it, but you want our obedience to be a source of joy for us. Thank you that you love your kids. Lord, please help us to always rest in that first and only unshakable identity of belonging to you. May the fact that we are sons and daughters of the most high God be the actual first thing that comes to mind when someone asks who are you? And God I ask that that would keep everything else in its proper place. Help us throughout this week to contemplate these biblical reasons for work. Help us to repent where necessary when our reasonings have gone astray. Um, help us God to understand that ultimately we are we are stewards of all that we've been entrusted to hold. And that would include even the breath in our lungs. And so help us go from here, seeing ourselves as sons and daughters, stewards, ambassadors, lights in this world for your glory, Master, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.